customer. I could get my brother right here who got good credit, get two on his, don't got to mess up my DTI. I don't got to worry about if I got too many cars in my DTI, thing. debt to income. Debt to income ratio, in. yeah. I don't got to worry about that because my brother, I'm going over here to the left. I'm not going to kill his. I'm going to keep him with two. So in case he want to buy a house, he good. He can get rid of him or do whatever he want. Mm. We ain't got five, six, seven, eight all on the personal, right? So I'm learning the game. You feel me? So I'm like, I'm like, all right, it's joint venture time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Look, I, this is how much I make, guys. Check it out. Look at my Toro platform. You see what I'm making? <laughs> Look, I can help you get a little bread. You ain't got to do no work. I'm going to run it. All you got to do is use your credit. Go ahead and get an extra sidecar. That's if they already got a car. Mm. Some people already got a car and they ain't got to do none of that. They just give me that. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So they just go get another one. I tell them, I, I'm telling people how to go get the loan, pre-qualify everything. I'm shooting them to the gym. I was shooting the State Farm like it was nothing. State mm. Farm was giving people personal for personal private sellers. That's so I was I was so mad when they stopped. Mm. I'm talking about they would let you go to a dude who got a Lamborghini Huracan for sale for hundred racks. Give it to them private sale. They don't give a damn. As long as they got a title. Oh, bro, I was going digital. So I'm learning these techniques, and I'm doing joint ventures all around the city. So real quick, so the number one question people ask is, um, where are you keeping all these cars? You got five cars at this Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. Where are you keeping them all? So now at this time I had Airbnbs. So I had the place I stayed, the apartment I stayed in, and I had the Airbnb. Mm -hmm. So they had parking decks. I put them in there. Gotcha. And then, and then they house. wouldn't even, they wouldn't even, uh, they won't stay there long enough. They was booked too much. Gotcha. So we was <laughs> back and forth. Let me ask you, and, and you've seen both sides. I mean, I mean, from the beginning to like now, was the opportunity bigger before? No. On it was smaller because it was less known. So nobody knew about it. Now everybody know about it, right? It hasn't stopped anything. So I could tell 80 people how to do this, and it's still going to be good because like this, I found this out. It's the same thing with the Airbnb. Like I told you, all those dudes had three apiece, and it was like 20 of us. We go to the gym to hoop. It's 20. Everybody, like, they all sharing, you know, it's networking. Mm. Jesus. They was put laughing at me. I was like, bro, I got to get me some Airbnbs. Yeah. So, you know, I got, I had, at that time, I had one. I got like eight now, but... At that time, I only had one, and I flipped it to three, quick. But long story short, it was an oversaturation thing where people worry about oversaturation, but it's the same as any business. McDonald's ain't worried about Burger King, bro. For sure, big fan. You know what I'm saying? They're not worried about Wendy's either. Yeah. So they're going to still eat their people living there. So that's the same thing. So people are always going to need two things, a place to stay and something to drive. It's guaranteed. When people worry about the pandemic, y'all still getting Instacart, Amazon Prime now, mm-hmm. Uber and Lyft drivers still cranking up. You know why? Because guys like me giving them the cars. <laughs> I love it. I'm I giving them it. the economy cars, baby. And that's, the, that's what I really try to teach. So a lot of people see me in the, the Lamborghinis and the race and stuff like that, and they get it twisted. Like, those are not the primary breadwinners. All right, so- not. So we're we going to get right into that. How many exotic cars do you have? Exotic in my network or did I personally and own? You personally own? Two. Two? Two. Exotic. This is over $150,000 car. Lamborghini, Rafe. You know what the crazy thing is? So, but I see you in all these cars, bro. Right. See, that's the joint venture thing. 
I'm talking about that I personally own, not that I personally have that I can drive day to day. Which is even better. Exactly. Isn't it dope? I have the freedom on my credit report to do what I like. Go get me a house. Go get me another car if I want because I didn't overexert my credit report, right? And then I can actually drive these cars for free. And then let them, not nobody pays for them. I don't pay for them. The owner don't pay for them. The customers do. That's the dope thing about mm. it. So we ain't tripping. And and it you, it makes your brand go crazy because you pulling up in these vehicles right. and they're like, yo, who is this guy? Right, right. And that was really um, the reason that um, that I initially jumped in. It wasn't an income play, but I was talking to my wife like, I feel like I need to go to that next level. For sure, I need, I need to pull up in something. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I don't need a, it's I the, hate, it's the, but it's the number one business card. Number one business Number card. Number one business card. I swear it's better than any business card you ever had. They be talking to me. They come up to me, ask me what I do all day and night. Everywhere I go. You see what's outside. Mm. Big body Rafe. Yeah. When I go drive that joint, when I tell you, uh, what do you do, sir? And then <laughs> anything I do is taken 100% seriously. Exactly. I change it up all the time. I'm like, I'm a teacher. What do you teach? I teach people how to get money. You know I what I mean? It. I might say I'm a, I own a rental car agency. I might say I, I run a chain of Airbnbs. I can say whatever I want. It's taken 100% seriously. Mm -hmm. And that's what I teach too, how to use your car as a business card. It's definitely the- Is that in the course? It's in the course. Oh, it's a, I, I, tell, course. I, te I teach these under business strategy. So if you wanna, you literally can get a car only for that purpose. You know what I'm saying? To just to use it as a business car, because I yeah. teach how to get the cars. So if you want to learn how to drive a Lamborghini or a Rafe, I can tell you how to get financing for it. Um, camaraderie um, with them. And so those people can help put this in a way to explain it. The defense, the defendant has to be on it and talking about it. And it has to, I keep coming back, it has to be genuine. But most of the time, I really don't need to hear from the defense lawyer. This is, is about the defendant, and it, it's, it's, if you believe what I'm saying about the inhumanity of the sentencing guidelines and the humanity of 3553, the best person to tell that story is the defendant. Um, now, I, I've seen defendants that did themselves no favors by how they got up there and maybe didn't treat me respectfully and didn't own up to it um, and didn't have a plan to succeed afterwards. Uh, but I've seen plenty that have been good advocates for themselves um, by allowing me to get to know them a little bit. And, and Judge, what influence do, do character reference letters have on your decisions at sentencing? I've read that as one of our early questions. I've had 67 in one case. That's too many. 67 character references are too many. Uh, I don't need the whole community, whether it's a white collar crime or someone who's been selling drugs. Uh, I, I work with a lot of folks who are trying to become judges in the state and federal system, and I encourage them, people who want to become judges, 
figure out who the, in the state of Missouri, it may be the governor. In different states, it may be senators that help pick the judges. Figure out their best friends and make a connection with them. Figure out what that judge cares about. If you're a criminal defendant, don't bury the judge in 50 letters that they can't read, and then they start skimming over them. Give them meaningful letters. So if there's somebody in your life that can really talk about your early stage and how you got there, I had a sentencing this week where they developed a relationship with a psychologist that really knew them and could talk about that person in a way that said they've owned this and they know what they did is wrong and they've got a plan to move forward. So, you know, five is probably as many as you can really come up with. If all you're going to say is this guy's a really good guy and he screwed up and please go light on him, I don't need 50 of those. A couple of those are okay, but I'm looking for somebody genuine, somebody that really knows that criminal defendant, somebody that really knows how they've progressed through life and how they've progressed since being arrested. They can tell me there's genuine remorse and there's a genuine plan to move ahead. In what ways can expert testimony during a sentencing hearing influence your deliberations about an appropriate sanction? Does that have any value to you? It's rare. Most of my criminal docket is drugs and guns. But in certain cases, I think it is helpful. Obviously, we're going to know about that beforehand because the vast majority of cases involve public defenders and CJA folks, and so they normally have to seek leave of court to get those experts approved. But there are mitigation specialists and typically higher sentencing guideline range cases that can be really meaningful. That, you know, figuring out where they got in trouble and how they got in trouble in grade school and high school and this path that led them down that way. And then what is actually needed to fill in that gap, I think it is helpful. But like I mentioned before, we keep our cases moving, so I need to know about that beforehand if that's coming at me. So I can either watch it the night before on my computer or we can make the time in the sentencing hearing to hear from that person. You know, there's a little bit of an oxymoron or contradiction. This is the most important day in a defendant's life, and I understand that. I've got to keep cases moving and can't give everybody every day, the whole day. And so finding that balance and me understanding that it's the most important day in that defendant's life. So they're going to be keeping it longer. So these people that are keeping their cars for three, four, five months, there's cars that I got that I haven't seen 
in months because they're using it now for either um, Uber driving or they just want the car longer. Some people might say, wait, why don't you just buy the car? Some people have cash flow gaps. They don't have a bunch of income all at one time, but they get paid every now they and then. They want a nice car, but they can't show the bank that That's they reason. make this type of money. That's another reason. They got, they got no proof gotcha. of income. No proof of income. Some people don't want a car in their name. Some people don't can't even get a car because their insurance, they can't get no insurance. They got a DUI before. They can't get any insurance. There's so many situations and circumstances people are in on why they need to rent a car. And I did research on all that, so I know who to serve. Mm. Some people say, well, I don't, I don't want to be on hire car. How do I get Uber drivers? There's a place where you can find, guaranteed to find Uber drivers sitting there chilling. Airport. Go to the airport and say, hey, how much you paying for this, this car that you got from Uber? Sometimes Uber provides cars for people mm. and charges them directly the monthly fee. Right. So you ask them, how much they charge you? And they charge me three eighty a month. I got a car that's better for you, better year, Yo. and I'm going to charge you $50 less. I'm about to ask my boy because he, he actually drives for Uber. And ask him how much he's paying. Is he driving his own car? Because if he's driving his own no, car. No, he got it from Uber. Yeah, see, find out. And well, all you got to do is tell him. Well, I got a cheaper car for you. So if y'all can, y'all can, y'all can oh, hear this. We, we live? Oh, we live. Say less. <laughs> yeah, bro. Oh, this is going to be good. Real quick. Um, you, you rent your car directly from Uber? Oh, would you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, are, are you in a are you in a ride right now or something? Uh uh-uh. Okay. I'm, I'm actually getting the oil change. How much do you pay on on the car, the rental car the car you got from them? Um, I think the normal thing is like two twenty five a week, but I pay like um eighty a week. How'd you do that? Golly. Because I know somebody that um. Works there. I actually met somebody and got a little relationship with them. They, they gotcha. just, yeah, they just, <laughs> they how just long, did something. I don't know. How long? How long were you paying two eighty a week though? Two, two twenty a week. I was. Yeah. It was like two twenty a week. That was when I had that black car. Remember a long time ago? I pick you up at Lexus. Yeah. How How long were you paying for that? Or how long did you do oh, that? As long as you have a car. Um. I actually wrecked that car. And then... <laughs> <laughs> Yo, listen. I don't see that, but how how long did you have the car, though? Um, I had that car for, like, uh, I think about four, four months or something. Paying 220 a week. Uh-huh. So, quick, 880 a month. Okay. How much you think that car note was? The actual car note was. Four hundred. Car had to be nothing. Two hundred. Goodness gracious. Okay. What you? What are you saying? Was you? You saying like I was getting screwed? No, no. I'm just about to get a car and put it on Turo and rent it out to Turo drivers. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. 
But it, the difference is um, the tour drivers, they're just going to ride around in the car. Not tour, I mean uh, Air, uh, Uber. My yeah, bad, Uber. Uber. Oh, Uber drivers. Oh, that's, oh, that's, that's Aaron? Aaron? I'm, Yeah. Oh. I don't say his name. Mr. Let Go yeah, in the uh, building. So, you know what I'm saying? Hey, All right, listen. It out. All right, so, um, yeah, so I'm about to get a car and put it on. Um, hire car. Put it on hire car So for Uber drivers uh-huh. to drive. You know a lot of drivers that do that, right? Do what? That uh-huh. rent cars from from Uber and these other places to drive. Nah, uh, I don't know nobody. How'd you know? How'd you get it? How'd you get what? How'd you get your car to drive for rental on on Uber? Uh, Uber. They, yeah, they, um, they, they have the like, service. It, it's, it's a little advertising thing, and it's like three different companies that you can work with. Yeah, gotcha. And, um, they plug you in. Uh, then you just hit that company, but I don't remember exactly the name of the company. It was like three different companies, and I just did it. And then, gotcha. boom, yeah, but at, uh-huh. after a certain amount of time, I gained a relationship with somebody, so I don't really pay nothing. Gotcha. Because I, I ain't got to pay insurance. Like, I ain't got to pay for this oil change. I ain't got to do nothing. Mm, I like that. So I like, like that. Because overall, eighty dollars a week. Um, That's why somebody that bought their car. It just, it just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the thing about it, just like I said, I wrecked one of their cars, and I just went and got another. One. <laughs> right, insurance. Oh, you you said you still have the other car? No, what? one car. No, the you, one only, you, oh, you only drive the one, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. All right, for sure, for sure. All right, cool. All right, that's that's all I needed. I appreciate Willfully destroying evidence in the state of Nevada is a crime under NRS section 199.220. And willful destruction of evidence could involve uh, destruction of papers, for example, uh, counting records if you're being investigated for economic fraud, uh, if you had files on your computer that were uh, relevant to a criminal investigation, deleting those files could be willful destruction of evidence. If there was a firearm that was utilized in the commission of a, of a, of a homicide or shooting, uh, if you were to take that firearm and, and dig a hole in the desert and bury it or throw it into a body of water, that would be... Uh, considered destruction of evidence, which in Nevada is a gross misdemeanor punishable by up to 364 days in the county jail and or a fine of up to Instagram, private jets, fast cars, and throwing money into the air like confetti were only a few of the posts. Real estate mogul and social media influencer Hush Puppy was known for making. Little did he know, he was leaving a digital trail for all us here at the FBI, and that flaunting led us to the truth a massive money laundering scam. In total, he had stolen $1.6 billion in United Arab Emirates Durham. It's a crime that will leave you speechless. I know I was. 
Here's the scoop on just how he did it, what he was spending all that money on, and how he was finally caught. Sometimes, things can get pretty slow here at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I know growing up, I thought it would be like I saw in the movies, you know, arresting the criminal masterminds of the world and bringing them to justice. Look, here's the truth about the job. Not all cases have stories worthy of worldwide news coverage. Spoiler alert, many times this line of work is a 9 to 5 like any other, with a lot of paperwork. But sometimes there's a case that's so out of this world that we feel we've earned our $66,000 per year salary. Hush Puppy was one such case. Here's a bit of backstory on Hush Puppy, in case you didn't know. I know I didn't, but frankly, I'm not on Instagram all that much. His real name, Ramon Abbas. He is a social media influencer and a self-proclaimed real estate mogul from Nigeria. For what it's worth, he definitely knows how to play the social media game. Mr. Abbas has over 2.5 million followers, and at 37 years old, he has made millions of dollars. Dollars he now very publicly spends, and posts all sorts of lavish lifestyle pictures to the internet. And when I say lavish, I definitely mean it. Common posts for Mr. Hush Puppy shows him standing in front of what we can only assume are private jets, going on huge shopping sprees where he is seen splurging on clothes from Gucci, Versace, and Vendi, where shirts can cost $1,000 or more. Oh, and of course, tons of photos of him in front of a multitude of super-fast, and super expensive cars. Some of his favorite driving machines are a $300,000 Rolls Royce or his $200,000 Ferrari. But he also lived in an incredibly expensive and exclusive Palazzo Versace in Dubai. He even has videos online of him taking off from a helicopter right from his home on the waterfront. Basically, this man did everything he could to let people know he was rich. Very, very rich. And Hush Puppy soon learned that his talent for curating a social media following, I mean, who wouldn't want to live vicariously through this man's millionaire lifestyle, would give us here at the FBI everything we could ever need to secure his arrest. See, here's the thing about Hush Puppy. He made all of his money illegally by a scheme called money laundering. The idea behind money laundering is simple. Basically, someone will conceal the real source of their money. In Hush Puppy's case, he had stolen millions from banks, private investors, and companies by tricking them into putting money into an account that they were then using for their own purchases. When our team here at the FBI got a chance to look at the evidence we'd collected after his arrest, we found phone and email records that contained over 100,000 fraud files and over 2 million addresses that looked to be potential victims. The companies that Hush Puppy targeted spanned over two continents. It was a worldwide crime, 
He had stolen $923,000 when a paralegal at a New York law firm wired money into an account that belonged to Mr. Abbas. This paralegal had received instructions to wire the money into a certain bank account that Abbas and his team tricked them into using, and that $923,000 was meant to go to a client's real estate refinancing. It instead went to anything Mr. Abbas wanted. But that's just one instance of Abbas's manipulation. He stole $14.7 million from a foreign financial institution, having them send money into a Romanian bank account. Other evidence shows that he also used tricked victims into putting money into United States bank accounts as well. Arguably, his biggest potential scam was when he tried to steal $124 million from an English Premier League soccer club. Luckily, all we know about this attempted scam is just that. It was an attempt. To be honest, this kind of criminal activity makes us FBI agents sick to our stomachs. Last year alone, upwards of $1.7 billion were stolen by means of cyber fraud. It's an ongoing problem that just doesn't seem to go away like a scar of guilt that won't fade with time. Hey, what's going on? My name is Nate, lawyer slash YouTuber. And today I want to talk about Cardi B again. And we're going to actually just look up her case and look at what she's charged with and see how much time she can actually get. Because a lot of the Cardi B fans, I love you guys. Thank you guys for watching. Thanks for making comments. Have been hammering me in the comments section saying, that everything I'm showing you guys is fake news. So, it even got to one point where one fan was like, this is all fake, there's nothing about it. Then I actually said, here's the name, here's the link, go look it up. And they refused to look it up. So, just so we can all be on the same page. And because I've been challenged, it's time to provide that receipt. Let's go into the receipts. For those of you who don't know who Cardi B is and don't know who the people I'm talking about, check out this news clip. It'll get you caught up in a quick hot minute. Rapper Cardi B has been indicted on charges stemming from a melee at a Queen strip club. In April, Cardi B rejected a plea deal that would have included no jail time if she pleaded guilty to third-degree assault. Cardi B is accused of throwing items inside Angel's strip club in Flushing last August, injuring two bartenders, the 26-year-old due back in court next Tuesday. So our first stop is to the comments section. This is love me or let me leave. Uh-oh. And they edited. Now, this person says Cardi B is not facing 10 years. No way you're an attorney. Oh, no. So then I write back. Look it up yourself. Two felonies. See Cardi B's case, right? Defendant's name. Here's the link. Go check it out. 
waterfalls come. I see nothing. I can't do anything. It's just like, oh my God. Stop reporting false info. Can't see anything on the state's website. I put the link works for everyone else. So then we had some back and forth with other people. Now she's saying that she sees it or he or she or whatever's happening. So I started getting a couple of these comments. I started getting comments saying that, you know, there's no way she's getting any time and I'm just missing it. I'm, it's wrong, 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 wrong. So I'm like, all right, let's do this. Let's just look it up ourselves, and I'll show you exactly where I'm getting my numbers from. First, so you guys can see, we are going to e-courts. Now, if you're in New York and you're arrested, you can look up the case here. You can look up Harvey Weinstein. You can look up anybody's case here on e-courts, and you go to this place called Web Crimes. Now, I've already pulled it up. Now, I've used Cardi B's name, um, which is her government name. And you can pull up the case right here, Queen Supreme Court. Now, this is a court that handles felonies, so there it is. And now, we look at her arrest information. So, this is the summary of her case. Defendant, her birth year, tells you, you know, what, what day she was arrested what the incident was, you know, all this great stuff. So now we can see what's going on. We can see her attorney, for instance, and her next appearance date, which is March 19th, 2020. So now on this side right here, you see where it says appearances. So now we can actually see when she's been in the court and what happened. So she's been to court all these times, all these times, you know, in front of this judge, that judge. The court reporter. Um, yeah, she's always been from the same judge. Now it's on for trial. So she's on for trial. So she was arraigned. I think she was arraigned on a misdemeanor. That she was arraigned on felony. So you, you can see it's all here. And her next trial date. Her trial date is 3-19-2020. So that is her next date, calendared for next week. Okay, so this is the part, this is the part where I think people are getting confused on, so let's just go into it. It all, it is the charges. Here are the charges. Now, the first one, as you can see here, is a violation. It's harassment in the second degree. That's like a part it's nothing. You know, nobody serves any jail in time for violations here in New York. It's a laugher, right? So the first two counts of violations. Yeah, throw them away. They're really worth nothing. Again, violations are like parking tickets. Class A misdemeanor is something interesting. Because a Class A misdemeanor, that means that you could spend up to 364 days in jail. You can't spend a year in jail because if you spend a year, it has to be a felony and you have to be indicted for that. So, misdemeanors, you can spend up to a year in jail. Cardi's being charged with the misdemeanor, a misdemeanor of conspiracy. So, she can spend up to a year in jail, 364 days. 
Now, is she going to get that for any of these charges? Probably not. It all depends on her criminal history. It's a lot of factors that go into sentencing. But usually I tell you that a term of imprisonment listed under a particular section, whether it was just going to be classified, like this is a class B felony or class C, and then there'll be a, a table somewhere that say, this is how much imprisonment these people can get for this kind of violation. It never sort of worked out that way. Rather, what, what uh, occurs is that based on what is the maximum statutory penalty for the offense that the defendant's convicted of in federal court, it then translates into a class of offense. So our armed bank robbers facing a maximum statutory penalty of 25 years. Because 25 years is the maximum statutory penalty, that makes this a class B felony. For this table, once you determine the classification of your offense, I think you'll find helpful in letting you know whether by statute probation is available or not, and upon violation of the probation and subsequent revocation of the probation, how much time could be given. For instance, this class B felon that we have, our, our armed bank robber being a class B felon, the tr authorized term of probation, probation is not authorized by statute for a person who is an armed bank robber. It's a class B felon, you're not gonna get that. Uh, we have over there, and it may be a little confusing to you, where we have the maximum statutory penalty for the offense is what's available upon revocation of probation. You're saying, well, if he couldn't get probation, how's he gonna have some penalty available when it's revoked? Because he wasn't gonna get it to start with. Well, uh, there is always the possibility uh, and I think this varies from circuit to circuit, that maybe through cooperation, I know Frank talked a little bit about that earlier, substantial assistance with the government, uh, that the court somehow ends up giving a probation sentence that would not otherwise be authorized by statute because of the cooperation. Based on the class of the felony, uh, there are set terms of supervised release allowed. Uh, for instance, our defendant was convicted of a class B felony uh, in a class B felony, by statute, you can get up to five years of supervised release to follow this term of imprisonment the court is going to order. Uh, upon violation and subsequent revocation of the supervised release, the defendant could face potentially up to three years of imprisonment. But say the court, for whatever reason, in, in the, a robbery case, armed robbery, gave 25 years of imprisonment, the defendant went off and served in every day of the 25 years of imprisonment. The court could have also given it in the time of sentencing, in addition to the 25 years, this five-year term of supervised release. And having served the 25, when the guy comes out and is under supervision by some U.S. probation officer that's not in this audience, uh, then the, that defendant is going to be on supervision if, and if violating uh, will be taken back and potentially could face three more years of imprisonment. So it's a total of 28 years that could result in custody from this conviction uh, for this armed bank robbery. Just one other point I want to make is about our fine table uh, back in Chapter 5. Uh, here you've done the calculations in a particular case and you've decided based on the offense level, you know, in criminal history category, the guideline range, also, the offense level that is ultimately used in the calculation uh, leads to a table that, that establishes the range of imprisonment. Our case at hand was, uh, what was the offense level for our robber? 20 what? 
29. 29. So, so this table would say this defendant, with assuming ability to pay, would have a fine of between $15,000 and $150,000. Hello there, and welcome back. You've seen the first two segments of our program, and you're probably um, looking forward to a stretch break. So what we'll do is give you a five-minute stretch break, which will provide good opportunity for you to fax in your questions for us. I'm sure you'll have quite a few right now. Let me give you the fax number. It's 1-800-488-0397. So we'll see you back in five minutes, and then we'll have our question and answer period. mortgage fraud transaction. If you're convicted under this statute, the penalty is what we call a Category C felony here in Nevada, which is one to ten years in state prison. However, if the court finds that there's been a pattern of mortgage fraud activity, then it becomes what we call a Category B felony and the penalty is 3 to 20 years in Nevada State Prison. You could also be prosecuted separately for perjury, which carries 1 to 4 years in state prison. And also you could be prosecuted by the federal authorities and be sent to federal prison. So the stakes and the consequences of being convicted for one of these mortgage fraud crimes are, are draconian. And if you find yourself charged uh, with, with one of these mortgage fraud schemes, you want to do everything possible to fight the case and avoid being convicted. Ultimately, here in the state of Nevada, what we've seen is that law enforcement is casting a very wide net over the whole state of Nevada. And consequently, a lot of innocent people particularly here in Clark County, Las Vegas, Nevada, 
have been reeled in and are being prosecuted for mortgage fraud related crimes. Here at the Las Vegas Defense Group, we are determined to make sure that our clients are not wrongfully drawn in by this widely cast net. And we intend to defend each and every one of our clients based on the specific roles that they play to ensure that an innocent, small, or no role player does not get sent to prison as a scapegoat for the actions of more sophisticated parties. The most common defense in a mortgage fraud case is that the individual did not have the intent to defraud. In Nevada, mortgage fraud is a specific intent crime. One cannot be convicted of mortgage fraud unless the state is able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the individual had the specific intent to defraud someone else. Therefore, if someone's acting in good faith and did not have the intent to deceive someone else, then the person is not liable for a crime. Another common defense to mortgage fraud here in Nevada is that the person was acting under the instructions or information provided by others. So, for example, you may have been an escrow officer who was simply acting under the directive of your employer. Or you may have been a loan officer who was just acting on information that was provided to you by appraisers and applicants. If you were acting in good faith, just on information and instructions given to you by, by third parties, then again, you should not be held liable for mortgage fraud. During the time when the seeds of this crisis were planted, it was very easy to get a loan. And there was a lot of pressure on mortgage lenders and appraisers the higher the appraisal value, the more the bank would lend. Sometimes people could get money out on the front end to furnish the home or to pay off debts in the process. So it became a magical elixir. And so we saw a lot of scenarios where people bit off more than they could chew. They bought a house that wasn't really worth what they thought it was, found themselves in debt, ultimately lost the home, and may now be facing prosecution in the wake of everything that they've already lost. You know, ultimately, we have to ask ourselves as a community, you know, who do we blame for the events that unfolded and the harm that was caused? Do we scapegoat and blame the appraisers, the mortgage lenders, the realtors, or do we ultimately have to just accept some shared responsibility and try to move forward in a positive direction? To run ads, I'm running ads on this video. Sell this digital product, and I still I got another business. And when you go on the book tour, don't forget the events page. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I told him from look, my brother Nehemiah Davis, <laughs> Neo. Shout out to Neo. Shout out Shout Neo, out to the bro. But that, and as fate would have it, because like when we, you know, we take our time because it's like we gotta be responsible about who we bring on the platform and. You know, we kind of, you know, try to see if we know anybody that. So we was looking and it just so happened that somebody that we grew up with actually um, purchased, yeah. became a part of the community. And he said he actually made money in his in his first month. Um, For market right here in our community. Somewhat of 30000 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. He made 30000 Yeah, yeah. He yeah. probably your, your, your yeah. fans. Yeah, for sure. He made 30000 So 
I'm not saying that's going to happen to every single person, but yeah, we personally know him. In doing our due diligence, <laughs> yeah. um, it, like I said, it just so happened that we actually knew somebody that was from our neighborhood that, yeah, it worked out. Man, that's heavy. So you know, you one, never know. You know what's crazy <laughs> is that <laughs> thirty thousand first month. That's, that's amazing. In double salute, we're gonna talk about it off camera. <laughs> uh, but that's the goal for 2021 is that my goal is that, you know, I've helped make three people millionaires throughout my program. Now I got three millionaires and I got 60 people who've been able to walk away from their job. And this year, the reason why I put everything now, like, like, why would you bring event space and all these different, why are you bringing all this together? I said, yo, listen, my goal is I don't want to make a hundred millionaires in 2021. So my goal is to be able to go out back into the community and in 2021, I want to help create 100 millionaires. With that kind of goal, we got a 100 millionaire challenge. I said, listen, people don't understand it. You ain't going to make 100 millionaires. I said, yo, that's a big number. million dollars is a big number. I said, listen, I made a million dollars in 30 days. If they can perform at a tenth of me, they'll be a millionaire. All they need to do is perform at one tenth of what I do. And if they fail and lose and do 20%, they walk away three, 400,000 a year. Hell, we still successful. Our community is a lot better. That's a fact. So, and one of the things with EYL, um, I feel like online education is a new college. Everybody thinks I'm anti-college. I'm not anti-college. If you want to go to college, I went to college. He has a degree. So, you know, (laughs) fortunately, I didn't have to spend money for college. But Yo, bro, why you do that? I did. I'm just saying. (laughs) So, uh, I did. I did. We'll talk about that after. <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, one thing, you know, people come on, whether it's Alex, whether it's uh, our brother, Kashif from Bendemich. Uh, Ooh, yeah, Kashif, yeah. Bendemich. Shout out to Philly. Everybody. Um, a lot of people, you know, entrepreneurs, they have um, different programs and different things of that nature. The only thing that we ever ask is that, um, you know, they just show us a little love and give us a discount for anybody that watches EYL. Um, and of course, you know, like I said, if you invest in education, you invest in education, it's up to you. If not, you know, just learning from the podcast is, is going to change your life. Um, but you know, we did, that's like a stickler. Like if you want to come on, like you definitely, we encourage people to, to do a discount and everybody to their credit has always obliged that. And, uh, Marcus has been no, no different. So $500 off, um, is what Marcus agreed. Uh, we are greatly, greatly appreciative of that. So it's $500 off of the program, um, which is actually the lowest price on the market right now. And uh, he did something exclusively for us, set up a, a website, rpxeyl.com. So there's no code needed, nothing. Um, you cannot get this price for the recession-proof program anywhere else. It's the cheapest that it's at. Uh, anywhere right now, $500 off. And um, you just click the link. We'll have it in this description of this YouTube video. We'll have the description if you're listening on iTunes, Spotify. We'll also have it on our website under the alumni tab. Or you can just go to the website directly, rpxeyl.com. Once again, that's $500 off of the recession proof program. And that's a special, it's not even a discount or a code. It's just a special situation 
that he did for EYL. And um, we greatly appreciate that, brother. Thank you. So if you're interested in joining the Recession Proof family once again, uh, the website is rpxeyl.com. No code um, needed. It is a special website set up with a special price, which is $500 off. And we are honored to have that as the lowest price um, that you have anywhere in the world right now. There's no other place that you can get it for that uh, price. Appreciate it, brother. What do you have on the horizon? Uh, what are you working on? What would you like to tell the people? How can they contact you? Any any last good words that you want to give the people? One of the things that I'm, well, now you know what? I like I like still educate. He brought something up that I want to say. We ended on All this. Right, My name it. is Him Five Hundred. Um, I'm a credit specialist. I teach people how to leverage credit, turn it to cash. He said he paid for college. Police don't necessarily have to have probable cause to initiate some type of casual encounter with an individual. So let's just say you're walking on the street and the police suspect that you may be loitering or engaging in some type of narcotics transaction, they can come up to you, they can start to engage in some discourse, they can ask you if you consent to a search of their person, and if you say yes, all bets are off, they can search you. So it's very important when law enforcement is endeavoring to initiate some type of casual encounter on the street, that you simply say, I would like to go on my way, I don't wish to speak to you. I don't consent to any searches if they ask for permission. If police have concern for their safety, they can do what's called an external pat-down of your person to check for weapons. That's essentially all they can do. However, in the course of doing that pat-down, if the police feel what they reasonably believe to be drugs, such as a balloon of heroin or hypodermic needle, they are then allowed to reach in and seize that item. If you refuse to consent to let the police search you and they wanna do a full-on search of everything in your pockets or everything in your purse or your backpack, then they either need a warrant or probable cause. And quite often the police really have neither, a warrant nor probable cause. And this, again, underscores the importance of not consenting to let them search. Because as long as you don't consent to let them search and they don't have probable cause, then they really only have two options. One is they can just let you go. And the other is they can search you illegally, in which case we can go later and challenge the search and most likely get the evidence thrown out of court. Here in Nevada... An illegal search of your person can be challenged by way of a motion to suppress evidence. If the motion to suppress evidence is granted because the police unlawfully searched your person, the evidence that is recovered would be thrown out and the case against you would most likely be dismissed. So often I talk to people who consented to a search in this situation and I ask, why did you agree to allow the police to search your person or your backpack or your purse or your car? And they say, well, I thought if I refused consent, they would do it anyway, and I would be in even more trouble. And if they're going to search anyway, let them search anyway. 
As long as you didn't consent, then we always have the right to go into court and challenge the search. And if we're successful, get the evidence thrown out of court. But once you consent, all bets are off. You've given up your rights and you've really taken away our power as defense lawyers later to go back and challenge the search and get the evidence excluded. You just have to understand credit cards. You have to understand their systems. Well, I tell people the goal is not, like, I don't teach people to just go out and do that. That's just something cool we figured out and found out. So that was one of the cool things. But I tell people is that, like, I tell people how to hide their credit card utilization. It's just learning things like that to where we don't pay interest on our credit cards. These are the type of things that we need to know is that, like, those are the most, those are the fascinating things because people go, People charge me to liquidate my credit card. You just told me how to do it for free. Literally, off. um, I've seen people go, hey, I don't know you, but you said this. I did it. It worked. I bought my real estate project, and I didn't have to spend my, like, going to debt to pay for my my home. You 3.5% in the negative before you even go do a deal. You imagine that you get funded at a hundred thousand, you got to pull a hundred thousand off your credit cards. You three point five to the to the negative before you even go anywhere else. Plus your monthly reoccurring fee. You get me? That's why people lose. Like I tell people, I teach people how to go to where if you were going into real estate and you had a hundred thousand in funding, when you liquidate, you'll be worth a hundred and and five, a hundred and six. So now you have more capital. You're not going negative before you even get into the investment deal. And a lot of times they get into deals. And if you do get a wrong deal, you don't even know how to get out. Right. So I got this. I got this play that I'm working on. Um, it is a real estate so I'm, I'll share with you after but we're uh, about to buy a building right and okay. let's just say it's going to be $100,000 in renovations mm-hmm. so I've got a bunch of I've got a cause I, don't, I, I use like like you I use my credit card and I pay it off so I have um, I got about I got about 100 in um, in you know credit card balance right okay Zero balance, I can charge it up to about a hundred. Okay. So, is there a way to float all this money or use my cards without having to pay all the interest? Is there a way? One, you can hide your credit card utilization, right? And if you hide it, then I can get another card. Is that what you're saying? You can get more cards, but you have to be particular about which cards you go out and get depending on what your situation is. See, I put people in a situation before they get to that point to where they don't have to worry about it. Let me bring this up just in case. I'm sorry. So I put people in a position before they get to the point of purchasing to where they're okay, right? Because you're going to have, there's different credit card types. You have your credit cards that are standard credit cards, meaning you got a $15,000 limit, this is what you have. You have charge cards. Your charge cards are going to be the cards that are based off of your spending habit, right? right? So we run our charge card limits up 
with business to grow our limits to where when it's time to do a deal like that and I need a hundred thousand I have it access mm -hmm. okay meanwhile I have my standard cards here that have my regular limits but with these cards I set up and I add people on as authorized users yeah. so I sell trade lines well now if I sell trade lines at 650 and I have 10 spots available that's 6500 every cycle how long do you keep them on your card? 60 days. So, it, so you add somebody, is this something we could talk about? Yeah. Okay, so you add somebody on your trade line for, mm -hmm. let's say, 650, mm -hmm. and every two months, if they want to stay on that. No, they, so you add trade lines last. It's once their credit report is together, depending on what they're looking to go do, you add them last. Okay. It's just, a, it's just, you have to know the formula. When you ask somebody as an authorized user, it's not, oh, you're going to get excellent credit. You're good to go now. No, you structure a report properly. Add the authorized user on to help with the data points. So once it helps with the data points of your age, your credit report, total number of accounts, your credit utilization, you add them on as an authorized user last. Now they go and do what they need to do, establish more new accounts. When the trade line gets removed, those accounts season fill the gap for where the trade lines work. Got it. Okay, so I add 10 people on as an authorized user, that's $6,500 every 60 days. If I got three cards, Got it. Got I'm at 18, it. almost 20,000 every 60 days. Okay, so in a situation you go, well, I'm going to go and spend 100,000 on this property. My goal was that get these credit cards together first and get this business flowing. So when you go spend that 100,000, you go, I spend 100,000 here, but I'm not spending my 100,000. Guess what, American Express? Guess what? You know, Barclays. The trade lines that I'm selling on these ones pay that card back. So now I'm not out of pocket. Got it, got it, got it. Dang, this ain't the first time you thought it up with that, huh? <laughs> got her just flowed out, like oh, you've been on this for a minute. That's what I'm on. So five years from now, um, I'll have one of the leading softwares when it comes to financial literacy and credit education. I love it. Do you specifically target black people? No. No, it's just that's just people who relate to me the most yeah. right now. Gotcha, gotcha. They like this way. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Well, yeah. well, I I, I want to say uh, thank you, man, and please let the people know how they can get in touch with you at him five hundred on Instagram. So follow me on Instagram at him five hundred. That's the easiest way to contact me. Uh, stay in touch. I shoot DMs back, you get voice memos, you might get a video, um, just real connected with everybody. DMs is always close to empty, to where they, I keep them open. So, you reply to all your DMs? For the most part, yes. I, bro, I, I, was, I did it for a while, and then I just got, I got so backed up, yeah. and now I can't catch up, so I'm... I'm you know what? I'm just gonna sit down this week and I'm gonna go through all. It's probably like a thousand. Just words. delete all of those and start fresh, and then stay on top of it. And who would have thought of that? That's crazy. Like you, yo, this has been something that's been bothering me for like three months now. Yeah. He's no. like, oh, delete them. Start over. 
Thank you. Yeah, Camille gonna check them. <laughs> They've been unread for two weeks. The message doesn't even matter anymore. Delete the story. It's story oh. replies, and it's, it's, you'll get a whole bunch of likes. And delete it and restart over. That is so amazing. First, okay, thank you. All right, I appreciate yeah, you, you having me. You bar. You just gave me a bar. That was worth the price of admission. All right, cool. I want you to leave us with um, something that the people can uh, take with them and hold on to for the rest of this year, for the rest of next year. Um, just leave us with a closing note. With a closing note? I got it. Before you get there, before you get there, give me a formula. I like your formulas. You have like the way you teach. Okay. Give me a formula and then we'll close. A formula. Um, I'm gonna give you guys a formula on something that everybody needs and that's how to clean your credit. Uh, that's one of the things I don't believe in charging for myself. I believe in if I get on a platform, the relationships I've been able to build with people like you, that I should be able to give our community that for free. Mm -hmm. So I tell people this is that the reason why you can't get a lot of the negative items removed from your credit report is because there's a company called SageStream, there's a company called LexisNexis, there's a company called CoreLogix, there's a company called ARS, and there's a company called Innovis. Those are secondary data furnishing companies. Those companies house the information that verifies the negative information on your credit report that helps match the collection agency's information, your foreclosures, your repossessions. They match those, that information with your secondary data furnishing companies. If you opt out and suppress these five furnishing companies, it will enhance your deletions by 60%. When you do a, a dispute method, you have to understand as well is that only way you can remove a negative item if it's inaccurate or if it's unverifiable. We cause inaccuracies by removing these, I mean unverifiable by removing the secondary data furnishers. That causes it to be unverifiable because this is where they verify your data. So we opt out of those. Then we make things unverifiable. Meaning, look at the names and addresses, any misspelled names, any wrong addresses on your credit report are most likely tied to negative accounts or accounts in your credit report. Remove them. You should only have one. Boom. You can do that over the phone. You never send a dispute letter to remove addresses and um, misspelled names. You do it over the phone. Now, you've caused inaccuracies and you help make things um, inaccurate and help cause the negative items to be unverifiable just by opting out and suppressing those. So now when you do a dispute, I tell people use a 609 letter, find a template, make it sound like it's personal. Don't just use it cut and paste. Take some of the words out, make it sound personal, make it sound like it's coming from first person. You're talking to the credit bureau. Then what do you do? You send your disputes in. That's one way to get negative items removed. Biggest bar is most people don't know there's a company called Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB.gov. That's the government regulation site that governs the credit bureaus. The credit bureaus are private companies. So TransUnion, Experian, and Equifax are privately owned. 
Well, CFPB controls them. Well, if you don't want to have to, if you go through and you suppress the secondary agencies and you make things unverifiable and accurate, and it still gets, it comes back and the company says, oh, 